0: Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like Him. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Terry. So we're embarking on this new series. It's really the first part of an entire year or better part of a year that's devoted to spiritual practices, things that we can do to help ourselves become more like Jesus. And what I was trying to drive home last week is that these are not the things that save us. These are not the things that earn God's favor or God's love. If you were a follower of Jesus, if you have confessed your sins and bowed your knee to King Jesus and given him your life, then you are secure in that with God. You are in his family, never to be parted from him. He will hold you and be faithful to you no matter what. And so we, we begin there because it's very easy once we start talking about practices to slip into what's called legalism and that is the idea that I am made secure in God's love by the things that I do, which is absolutely untrue. However, we do grow in the likeness of Jesus by our discipline and practices. God's Holy Spirit comes to live within us and begins to transform us into the likeness of Jesus, and we partner with God's Holy Spirit by doing things to help ourselves become more like Jesus. These are called spiritual disciplines in some places or practices of grace in other places. Whatever we want to call them, uh, we're going to embark on this better part of a year just to talk about being formed into the image of Jesus. Formation into the image of Jesus because that's God's goal for all of us. That's just what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Those that he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That is, God knew you would be here. And God calls you to be a follower of Jesus. And his greatest desire for you, more than anything else, is that you would be like Jesus in every way. And that's what God wants for us. And so that's what we're going to embark on. So we jump in here into Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I told you last week, because I plopped you in the middle of Romans, that Romans is a weird book to jump into the middle of. It's really hard. There's a lot of background. Paul uses a lot of Jewish imagery and imagery from the Old Testament. And he builds a ton on the Jewish faith and practices because of the dynamic of what was happening in the city of Rome. And so that's where we're plopped down right now. But I've got good news. Today, we don't need to know so much about that. What you really need to know in background for today uh, is that Paul here in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, is doing what every good rabbi throughout history has done. And he's expounding on the two ways to live. All through biblical history and all through the scripture, there's this theme that there are only two ways to live. There's the way of righteousness and there's the way of wickedness. That's it. And it's most clearly laid out here in the first Psalm. Now, we're going to be looking at this in a couple of weeks, so I'm giving you a little preview here, okay? But in Psalm 1, the whole book of the Psalter, the whole book of the Psalms, these are the songs that God's people would sing throughout history, the whole thing begins by laying out these two ways of life. So I'm going to read Psalm 1 for you, and hopefully you can see what I'm talking about. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. So you can see very clearly in this psalm that the psalmist, the writer here, is laying out two ways of life. There's, there's the way of righteousness, which is to delight in God's word, to delight in God's presence, to be devoted to God's way of life. And then there's the way of wickedness, which is really everything else. Anything that is not following in the path of God and delighting in God's word and in God's presence is the path of wickedness. It's the path of the world. Now that may seem stark to you. It may seem to you that there are are shades of gray here, right? Right, Pastor? Aren't there shades of gray where there's like you know, the people who are really devoted to God's word and really devoted to all that stuff, and they're like the monks and the nuns and the pastors of the world. And then there's all these other ways that are kind of shades of gray. Maybe maybe they're following on God's path and maybe they're not. But that's not the case. When When we talk about wickedness, we're not talking necessarily about overt evil. When we talk about the way of unrighteousness, What we're talking about is just anything that isn't pursuing God's way of life. And that's a hard teaching for some of us because it feels legalistic, like I was talking about earlier. It feels like, now, I've got to follow this set of rules or I'm not on God's path and therefore I'm not accepted or loved by God. But God, as I've mentioned before, has always operated by grace. Always operated by grace. From the very beginning, God calls people to himself who couldn't do anything for him, who had never expressed any devotion or love to him. And so God adopts us, he calls us in by his grace before we can ever perform any of those things, before we can ever live and walk in his way. And so what, what the psalm here is laying out, and what the Apostle Paul will be laying out here in Romans is that you're adopted by God's grace. You are called in by God's grace. And then once you are in, out of gratitude for God's grace, this is the path for you. This is the way of life that God calls you to. This is the way to pursue him. And that's what Paul has been laying out up to chapter 12 here in Romans. The first 11 chapters of Romans are incredibly theological. They're very deep. And there's a lot of technical stuff in there. There's a lot about Israel and about the church and how they overlap and what they are and how, we, how, how God has called people to himself by grace. And there's a whole lot about how God has called you by grace and not by law. And so Paul's building this case for 11 chapters about the theological case for why we are called by grace and why God called Gentiles, that is us non-Jewish people, into his family and into his kingdom. Now, chapter 12 is the hinge pin of the book of Romans. In fact, these two verses are the hinge on which the book of Romans turns. He moves from that theology building his case to now, okay, if all this is true, Paul, what the heck do we do about it? And that should be our question, right? All the theology in the world, all the deep theology, all the, all the thinking about God in the world is really meaningless If it doesn't lead us into a way of life that forms us into Jesus. And so we can know a ton. There are a lot of Christians. There are a lot of leaders. There are a lot of pastors and scholars who know a lot. But it isn't benefiting them if it's not impacting their way of life. And so chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 are that hinge where we go, Okay, Paul, I understand what you're saying because you've said the same thing like 15 times in a row. Now what do I do with it? And the rest of the book of Romans is kind of ethical guidelines based on that theology. Paul's saying, okay, all this high-minded stuff, now here's how it works out in your life. And he begins that right here with verses 1 and 2. And so these are his thesis statement for everything that's about to come and about how we live. And he says here, therefore, this is how you know it's a hinge. This is how you know that this part turns. He said, therefore based on everything that's gone on before. Only he doesn't leave us only with a therefore. Therefore is an incredibly important word because it means you've got to understand what I just said if you want to know what I'm about to say. If you want to understand what's to come, you've got to understand what came before. But he adds to it. He says, therefore, and then he lays out, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, That is, in view of all this stuff that I've just been telling you, everything I've been saying for the past 11 chapters or however many words, in view of that, now I'm going to tell you this. Now follow me in this. And he says, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Now we're going to get to that in just a minute. But here in verse 2 is where he starts to lay out those two paths, where he says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you see the two-path imagery right there? Don't go this way of conformity, but go this way to being transformed by renewing your mind. Right. So Paul is being a good rabbi. He's saying there's the way of conformity to the world, and there's the way of transformation through Christ. And that's it. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, that's what we get. What we do is transforming in Christ, or it's conforming to the world. And so that's what he's calling us to. First, don't be conformed to this age. Other translations may say, don't be conformed to the pattern of this age, or don't follow the pattern of this age. What he's saying is, the world's values ain't yours. All the values of the empire, all the values of your culture... All our values of individualism and consumerism and self-centeredism, all of that stuff, they don't belong to you. They don't belong to Jesus. They don't belong to you. Don't be conformed to them. Every force in the world is working to shape us. Every single force in the world is working to shape us. You are being shaped day in and day out, by the media you consume, by the stuff you read, by the things you listen to, by the marketing agencies that are trying to get you to buy whatever it is that they want, by the politicians who are trying to buy your vote. You are being shaped every single day. This is why it is so very important that we pay attention to what we pay attention to. This is why it is so important Not to have mindless things in the background of our lives constantly speaking to us because they're shaping you even when you don't realize it. This is why we are to be intentional about curating the things in our lives that we allow to speak to us and speak into us. And understand that we're not choosing the things we choose based on our values. They're shaping the values and helping us to continue choosing those things. It's why it's so important to listen to voices and hear things that run counter to our established patterns, to their values, to what we think is true of the world. It's very important to listen to a multiplicity of voices. It's so important to hear from our neighbors and hear from people who disagree with us and hear from people who who hold very different views and opinions than we do. Because if we don't, we'll just continue to be shaped by the same thing and we'll keep digging the well and digging the hole of whatever pattern we're already in. We have to be confronted in order to not be conformed. We have to be confronted about our values and views of the world in order to deepen the ones that are true, to challenge the ones that are untrue, and to continually be growing in the image of Jesus. But if we just keep digging the well of the same things, and the same voices, and the same media, and the same stuff, we're just going to continue growing in one direction. And that's fine if it's Jesus. But if it's anything else, it's not going to challenge us, and we're not going to grow. We're going to become a silo. (laughs) We're going to become our own kind of monument to whatever values the world has handed us. And so when, when Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, he's saying all those values that don't belong to Jesus shouldn't be yours either. You need to be confronted regularly. I need to be confronted regularly. We need to be reevaluating everything so that we can be sure that, it is, that we hold it in light of what God has said, in the light of his word that we are being shaped primarily by God's word and by God's way of life and not by all of the voices of the world that are trying to shape us. We must be confronted regularly. There's this very old phrase that goes back to the Reformation, Semper Reformanda, always reforming. The Reformation, the church that happened in the church, the, the Protestant Reformation that happened in the 16th and 17th centuries, it was all about re-evaluating all of the things in the church and asking, is this biblical? Is this in line with what God wants? And Semper Reformanda, this this phrase that came out of the Protestant Reformation is simply, look, we need as a church to constantly re-evaluate who we are and what we do in light of scripture and in light of God's word, in light of what the Holy Spirit is telling us now and in light of the world in which we live. Semper Reformanda, always reforming. That's how we keep from being conformed to the world. So many of our churches don't constantly evaluate. We're not always reforming. And so we end up being conformed to the pattern of this world. And so that's how churches end up being just corrupt, or they end up being places for entertainment, or they end up being places that are social clubs, because they've not reevaluated in light of Scripture, and they've just walked on and become conformed to the pattern of the world. And so that's where we are, individually and collectively as a church. Let's reevaluate. Let's think through what are we doing that is in line with Christ, and what are we doing that isn't really informed by Scripture or by the Holy Spirit. And so as we're talking about the vision for the next year and formation, this is something every one of us need to do individually, but this is something we're going to be doing as a church. And so through the end of the year, as we gather together and as we put together this a little kind of vision team, a team to help us plan for the future. We're going to reevaluate everything we do as a church and ask: is this helping people become like Jesus? Is this helping to form people into Jesus? Is this informed by scripture or is this just some cultural value that we've been holding on to? And it may make some people upset, but everything that we do must be rooted in God's word must be rooted in what God is calling us to and that mission of helping people become like Jesus. Because if we're not forming people into the image of Jesus, we're not a church anymore. We're just a social club. And so, don't be conformed to the world. Confront your values, confront the the patterns of your own life, and reevaluate them in light of Scripture, individually and collectively. But then the second piece of that is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed. Don't walk down that path. Re-evaluate your life in light of scripture and in light of who Jesus is and instead be transformed metamorphosis this is the same word we use of butterflies right of caterpillars when they go into the into the cocoon and then they come out into the chrysalis they come out as a butterfly they've been metamorphosed they have been transformed And that's what God is working on us. God God has got us in this chrysalis, in this gospel chrysalis, and he is transforming us into something new, into something that looks like Jesus in my skin, with my culture, from my place. He is forming me into Jesus. That is the process of transformation. And we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is loaded phrase, right? This is... This is not about education, primarily. Education is a part of this. This is not primarily about getting the right degree. It's not primarily about reading the right books. It's not primarily about informing my mind with facts. This is about a whole life orientation toward Jesus. Renewing my mind means ridding it of what is dead and old and past and focusing it instead on Jesus. Focusing my attention all the time on Jesus. All throughout the Psalms, the psalmists write, Lord, I meditate on your law day and night. I eat your word. I consume it. It becomes part of me. I ingest it and digest it and it becomes a part of every fiber of my being. And that's what the renewal of the mind is all about. The renewal of the mind is about focusing my life with a laser precision upon Jesus and what he is calling me to, being transformed into his likeness by focusing my attention on him. It's been said that the devil doesn't necessarily want to tempt you, he just wants to distract you. I can't remember I can't remember who quoted that, but it's one of my favorites. Because it's right. I think one of the, one of the things that we, we imagine like the devil walking around with a pitchfork and like trying to tempt us into all the worst vices of the world when really all he's got to do is distract you from Jesus. All he's really got to do is take your eyes off Jesus. Take your eyes off of God. Take your meditations away from his word. If I can put a show in front of you that will let you become mindless for an hour, I can pull your attention away from Jesus. If I can put a bauble or something in front of you that you're, that you're lusting over, something that you want to buy that you can't get your mind off of, then I can take your mind off of Jesus and distract your focus. The renewal of the mind is about ridding ourselves of that distraction and instead becoming focused on Jesus. And so we are rejecting conformity to the world in favor of being transformed by the renewal of our minds into the likeness of Jesus, So that Jesus is living through my skin. Through my life. So that my character is being conformed to his. And so I have these two paths before me. Conformity or transformation. Now here's the thing. I'm not going to default to transformation. I'm going to default to conformity. That's where I live. The world that I live in is always moving me toward conformity to its own values. All of the air that I breathe. This is why in certain places in the scripture, the devil is called the prince of the power of the air. What it means is he is is sovereign over the air that you breathe, the culture in which you live, the milieu in which you walk. Everything about the world that we are in is under the influence of God's enemy. And so our default as human beings is to conformity with that. We don't default to transformation. One of my favorite pastors, Scott Sauls, recently wrote a book that I'm going to highly recommend to you called Good People Don't Just Happen. It's a great one. Because it's all about this idea that I don't default to transformation to Jesus. I don't default to that. My default posture is toward conformity to the world. So how do I instead refocus my mind, reject the distraction of the devil, focus on Jesus, and be transformed through the renewal of my mind? That's the question that we're asking. And that's the question that we're trying to answer with this series on practices. Because yes, the Holy Spirit will work in you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have God's Spirit living in you and the Holy Spirit is going to work in you and you are secure in that and you cannot be taken away from Him. But it's not just going to happen. The Holy Spirit partners with us and empowers with us. The main work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to empower us to do the things we couldn't do before, that is, become like Jesus By pursuing him. By doing the very thing that Jesus told his apostles they needed to do right before Jesus left the world. Which is to go into all the world, preaching the good news, and teaching people, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded. Because the commands of Jesus are about transforming us. What Jesus told us to do, how he taught us to live, they're about our transformation. And so, in these coming months, what we're going to be doing is focusing on those practices that help us to become transformed. Those practices that shape us into a living sacrifice. And so we come back to Paul's first instruction. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, why is it a living sacrifice? Well, I hope this isn't Surprising to you, but most sacrifices are sacrifices specifically because they die. Sacrifices die as gifts to God. So, what Paul is saying here is, I'm not calling you to death, I'm not calling you to lay yourself down on an altar and be sacrificed, I'm calling you to be a living sacrifice. That is a living gift to God. You and I can present our lives as a gift to God. As a response to the gift he's already given us. And when we see our lives as gifts to God, we can't become legalistic. When we see our lives as gifts to God, we can't think that we need to fill a checklist in order to earn his love. God wants your life as a gift to him and he delights in it. This is why Paul follows up, you present your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, dedicated to God that is holy and pleasing to him. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, too many of us think that even after we've come to Jesus, God is still up there upset with us, waiting to strike us down in judgment. Too many of us, too many Christians live their lives with the view of God that he's just some angry step-parent, or upset grandpappy who is waiting to strike us down. If you are a follower of Jesus, God delights in you. He takes pleasure in you. He looks at you as a beloved child and is delighted with you. Not because you are perfect, but because Jesus is. Not because you are perfect, but because he's adopted you and chosen to love you despite your imperfections. If you are a follower of Jesus, God is pleased with you. And the only logical response, the only reasonable response to that delight and pleasure is to give our lives as a gift to God. In fact, that's what this this phrase means. This is really interesting. He says, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true worship. Now, that's a really interesting phrase. In Greek, it's like really hard to translate. So if you look at four different translations, you'll see four different ways of rendering this verse. Some of them say true worship. Some of them say spiritual worship. Some of them say reasonable service. There are all kinds of ways of translating this. But the word that's translated true in our version here. Is a Greek word that really means logical. In fact, it's the Greek word from which we get the word logic, reasonable. It makes sense. And so, what Paul is saying here is like the only reasonable response, the only logical response to God's great gift of grace to you is to give your life back as a gift to Him. It's the only thing that makes sense, it's the only thing that's reasonable. When we look upon God and we see the great grace he's laid out for us, it only makes sense that we go, yes, God, I want to give you everything. Yes. I want to lay it down. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said, if you want to follow me, you've got to count the cost and lay it all down for me. You've got to know what it's going to cost to follow me. Jesus himself affirmed, this is the reasonable response. When I see God's grace on display, God, I want to give you my life. And so to become living sacrifices, living gifts to God that are pleasing to him, holy and set apart for him and for his purposes, we got to do some stuff. we got to practice becoming like Jesus. And so this year, we're going to be talking about a lot of different practices. We're starting with Scripture. That's what this guy's about. right? We're starting with the Bible, ingesting it, letting it become part of us. When we eat food, our body separates out all that is beneficial and all that is wasteful. And the beneficial stuff becomes part of us. It gets absorbed into our bodies and it becomes a part of us. And the beautiful thing about the scripture is there's no separating out the waste from the good stuff. It's all good, it's all beneficial. And the more that we ingest God's word, the more that we invest in understanding and devoting ourselves to God's word, the more we'll be shaped into his character. The more it will become part of the very fiber of our beings. And so we're going to be talking about scripture. How do we approach it? How do we even read it? What are some helpful things to do to meditate on God's word regularly? to let it become the air that we breathe rather than the culture that surrounds us. We're going to spend time talking about prayer. How do you pray? The series on the scripture is going to be more about how to understand the Bible and how it's made up because those are the questions we're often asking. But when we get to prayer, we're going to be really practical. What are different ways that you can pray? There are going to be ways that that some of you gravitate to and really grasp onto, and there are going to be other ways you're going, "Eh, maybe that's unhelpful to you. And so we're going to talk about prayer. How do we pray? How do we engage in a conversation with God regularly? What are some ways to feed our spirit and to invest in our relationship with God through prayer? We're going to talk about the discipline of gathering, gathering together on Sundays, gathering together during the week, being with God's people regularly, connecting with our family in Christ. One of the disciplines of the spirit is just to gather and be with God's people, We're going to talk about generosity. How do we honor and glorify God with our money? How are we shaped with the things and the time and the treasures and the talents that we have? How do we use those in a way that shapes us into the image of Jesus and invests in his work around us? And we're going to talk about Sabbath. What does it mean to really rest in an anxious world in a world that is driven constantly, in a world where you feel like you've got to hustle 24-7, what does it mean to actually step back and rest? Because we're all too busy not to rest. we got too much anxiety not to rest. So we're going to talk about rest. What does it mean to be silent? And specifically, we're going to be asking questions like, what does a practice of solitude look like for a single mom with three kids? How do we as a community help that? Because there are some of these practices that we're going to talk about and you're going to go, that works really well if you're like an affluent white person. (laughs) But if you're a broke single parent, silence and solitude are not something that's on the menu. And so we're going to be asking those specific questions. What does it look like to practice these things in the harried everyday business of my life? Because everybody feels busy and anxious. So we're going to be investing in these things to invest in our spiritual life so that we become more like Jesus because here's my core conviction. My core conviction is that the greatest gift that we can give individually and collectively to the world is our holiness. The greatest gift you and I can give to the people around us, to our families, to our community is our holiness. And that just means our Christ-likeness. Our being like Jesus. It's the greatest gift we can give to God, and it's the greatest gift we can give to each other, and it's the greatest gift we can give to the world. Being shaped into the image of Jesus. Can you imagine what our world would be like if it was full of seven billion Jesuses? I mean, we laugh, right? Rightly so. But that's God's dream for the world is that the 7 billion people on this planet would all look like Jesus. Imagine that world. Now imagine the city of Denver if just 100,000 Jesuses lived here. Imagine the city of Denver if only 10,000 Jesuses lived here. Imagine your neighborhood if just 10 Jesuses lived there. The greatest gift we can give the world is our becoming like Jesus individually and as a body. That's the driving vision for this church. That's the driving vision of everything that we do. And when we evaluate what we do, we're going to be asking, is that the purpose of what we're doing? Or are we just here because we're here? Is that the driving mission? So we're going to vote this afternoon about our denominational affiliation. We're going to talk about all kinds of other stuff. And all of that matters. It is important and it matters. But to most of you here, it doesn't make a difference. And honestly, it won't make a difference in our day-to-day. It won't make a difference in that vision and mission. Are we helping people become like Jesus? Because that's the greatest gift we can give to the world. Am I becoming like Jesus? Because that's the greatest gift I can give to God and to my neighbor and to my family, and to myself. And so I invite you on this journey with us. I invite you to invite others on this journey with us to become like Jesus in every way. Let's pray. God, thank you that those you foreknew you predestined to be conformed to the image of your Son, God, thank you that you have already set us on the path to becoming like Jesus by simply coming to us and inviting us into your family. And so, God, I pray that over these months, as we talk about how we invest in our spiritual lives to become more like Jesus in every way, that you would deepen our relationships with one another as we lean on one another and as we, Lord, depend on each other to help us stay focused on Jesus. I pray that you would give us focus, divine focus, Holy Spirit-inspired focus on Jesus in everything that we do and that we would be so aware of our need for you in all things that we could do nothing without coming to you first. God, lead us. Holy Spirit, guide us, empower us as we embark on this great mission to become like Jesus in every way. Transform us, Lord. Into your image. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit christcommunitydenver.org.